Good morning. Uh, my name's Andy, and I have the privilege of being a part of the preaching team here at Hope Chapel, uh, which I'm very thankful for. Me and my family uh, worship here, have been here for about uh, a little over three years, and it's a gift to be a part of this church family. And um, if I haven't met you yet, uh, grab me, I'll be around in here, would love to, to meet you after the service. Well, we've been going through uh, Romans together as a church, and do you remember this from all the way back in chapter 1? For I, ha- I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Does that sound familiar at all? Okay, it was a while ago now, wasn't it? Well, then right after we read that and spent time with that, then the sin and wrath bomb got dropped on us, rightfully so. And uh, that was hitting us all the way until Romans 3.20. But then we began to see and get some good news for us as sinners. And we saw that last week in 3.21 through 31 that we gain the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus, payment for sins on the cross. His payment on the cross for our sins, right? So, for someone maybe receiving this letter for the first time, or maybe you heard this for the first time, the reader or the listener, it would make sense to ask, is this possible after all we've heard? So all that stuff we heard that was tough stuff about our sin, Is it possible that we can gain the righteousness of God, that our sins can be forgiven? Well, Paul kind of anticipates the need for some solid examples of how this works out. And so he's ready to bring out the big guns as far as examples go, all right? The reality of gaining the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, his big gun example that he brings out, Abraham. Abraham. Well, imagine, uh, instead of explaining to us about salvation, like just to give you an idea of how important the example of Abraham is, okay? Instead of Paul explaining salvation to us, imagine he was trying to explain to someone for the first time the game of basketball, okay? Stay with me on this. So he explains and he teaches the game of basketball, Strategy, form, drills, terms, shows them the court even, okay? But they don't have a full understanding until they have really seen the game played, right? And so what, like if you were going to show someone a game of basketball played, which one would you go to? Which one would you show them? It would probably be the NCAA championship game, right? Some people would argue and say, NBA finals game, but I'm like, nah, you know, NCAA championship game. That's, to see it played out, you want to go to the height of something, one of the best examples to show them all this stuff that they've been, that you've been taught, right? So the NCAA championship game. So then you see as you're watching it, how does all this stuff come together and make sense, right? And when you see it played, you understand how it all applies, 
So going to the NCAA championship game, the pinnacle of games that you could watch, arguably, is like him bringing Abraham up on this subject. He's going to the pinnacle of, especially who Jewish believers would have been thinking about, to solidify his argument. So Abraham is the example that drives the point home hardest. If Romans 1 through 3 can be found to be true for Abraham, also, that's big. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we need your spirit to drive these things home in our hearts. Apart from you doing a great work in us, uh, even this morning, uh, we are lost. We thank you for the power of your spirit, and we thank you for Jesus going to the cross to die for sinners like us. Remind us of these things and uh, increase our joy and our zeal for you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of the ways we could break down this passage, uh, I'm going to break it down into like three words that are, have to go with each section. Boasting, blessing, and a seal. I didn't come up with a third B word. Boasting, blessing, and the seal. Okay, so verses 1 through 5 really kind of summarizes an idea of, of boasting. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In verse 1 there. And that question really is kind of the first of four question sections that we see in this passage too. Could have broken it down according to that. But these, these questions are important. What then shall we say? What about Abraham? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. One of the things that uh, a reader of this, or even thinking about Abraham, they would think if anyone would have something to boast before God, it must be Abraham. If there's anyone. And then we could think of some other Old Testament figures as well, but he's the father of the faith. He's the father of the Jewish nation. If anyone has something to boast before God, to earn his salvation, to be right with God, it's him. It's got to be him. But Paul says he doesn't have anything to boast about. And this ties back to uh, chapter 3. If you have your Bibles open, you can just look a little bit farther back in verse 27. Paul asks the question of all of us, then what becomes of our boasting before God? And then he says quickly, it is excluded. Okay, so this is a connection back to that boasting question. Abraham also has no boasting before God. And so he's about to prove how it is excluded with Abraham as well. So in verse 3, he asks another question. For what does the scripture say? And he just gives this very short thing to drive home his point. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So counted to him as righteousness, um, this counted word, and then even when he goes back, when you, when you go back to the Old Testament, so when you look at the Greek and the Hebrew, these are uh, bookkeeping terms. Okay? So, uh, 
God did two things, if you think about like a bank ledger or something as an accountant or how many accountants we got in the room anyways? Some of you are raising your hand, willing to admit it, right? Okay, so who likes doing their, who does the, the finances for your home or for yourself? Okay, there's more people. All right. Some of you love doing that. Others of you don't love doing that. Um, so this term of like working with a bank ledger here, okay? He did two things on Abraham's bank ledger, essentially. Uh, and we're, we're looking ahead a little bit to the, the Psalms that are quoted from David in verse 6 here a little bit, okay? But the first thing is, he took his sins off his ledger, okay, cleared his ledger of his sins, and put his sins from his ledger onto Christ's ledger. Okay, so Christ didn't have any sin on his ledger, so that was taken from his and put onto his. Then the other thing he did was he took Christ's righteousness from his ledger and put it onto Abraham's ledger. So there was a taking away fully, and there was a putting on of something that he didn't even earn. Now, I remember uh, not too long after Jody and I got married, our first joint bank account that we got. I remember we went in, made some deposits, that kind of thing. And, you know, when you go to the bank, they, they give you, if you go into the bank, right, uh, they give you a little paper slip for, for your deposit to show maybe a balance and how much you put in. So I was keeping those little slips, right? Not everybody keeps those slips, okay? Um, so I can't remember how long it was, but it was just within about a week maybe. I had gone back in and I checked what the balance was and I was like, man, this, isn't, this doesn't look right. So thankfully I went back and I still had my little slips of paper. And I was able to see that, and I could take that into the bank to say, hey, there was a discrepancy here. You know, this was supposed to go on our account, and they found that they had applied it to somebody else's account, actually. So at first they were kind of arguing with me about it. And I was like, well, here's the slip right here. I got the slip right here. Uh, so there was this clear sense of something had been put on somebody's ledger that didn't belong there, and it was never put on my ledger, Okay. Now, with Jesus, as much as we may want to try to put things on our own ledger and everything like that to, to give us standing with the Lord, um, we can't do that. There's nothing we can boast about, okay? And so we want to make sure we, it's a good thing to have all of our stuff that we have on our ledger, which doesn't amount to anything, taken away, and then we need His righteousness put onto ours, so this double thing that's done for us is a great and amazing truth. So with God, our ledger is full of sin, okay? But he takes it away through Christ. He wipes it clean. But then he gives us a full ledger of his righteousness. Okay, so we can't boast. There's no boasting. Now, this part here, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. I think these words are very powerful for us. If we keep going back to trying to earn our salvation, 
we think we're going to earn something with God from that. And we think we're going to get the right wages. But those wages that we try to earn with Him don't amount to anything. The due that we get by our works to earn favor with God is actually for the wages of sin is death. That's the due we end up deserving. But through Christ, we get a gift. It's not even something that we're due. It's not wages that we earned. It's actually what He did. And we get what He earns. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that crazy? It just doesn't make any sense. So, we want to make sure we focus on the gift that's given to us freely and not on trying to do something that earns wages that we think we should get a due for. Okay, let's go on to uh, the blessing. So that was boasting, and here's blessing in verses 6 through 10. So, 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, So if Abraham, as an example, wasn't good enough for the hearer, now he's going to bring in David, right? So David's a big deal as well. And I love this quote from uh, author James Hastings. Here's what he says of David and the importance of uh, of Paul bringing him up. The David of Israel is not simply the greatest of her kings. He is the man great in everything. He monopolizes all her institutions. He is her shepherd boy, the representative of her toiling classes. He is her musician, the successor of Jubal and Miriam and Deborah. He is her soldier, the conqueror of the Goliaths that would steal her peace. He is her king, numbering her armies and regulating her polity. He is her priest, substituting a broken and a contrite spirit for the blood of bulls and rams. He is her prophet, presaging with his last breath the everlastingness of his kingdom. He is her poet. Most of her psalms are called by his name. What a great summary of David. And the irony, you know, in some sense, he's bringing another heavy hitter in, David, as an example. But even with all those accolades that I just read, what does David say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So David, even with all those accolades, realizes ultimate blessing. The most blessed person in existence is the person whose lawless deeds are not counted against them. This is the sweetest blessing of life and eternity. The greatest need of all humanity is taken care of in this blessing. Think about those words. Lawless deeds forgiven, sins are covered, the Lord not counting our sin against us. That is a great blessing. The greatest one that we have need of. I love these words from uh, Pastor James Montgomery Boyce. Listen to these questions he asks to all of us, okay? Are you suffering from guilt for some past action? 
Does your mind return again and again to the wrong you have done? Is guilt an ever-present companion? If so, you need to experience what David knew as a result of God's grace in reference to his sin. He says three things about it. His sin was forgiven, his sin was covered, and his sin was not counted against him. Can you think of a more thorough way to show that our sin in Christ is taken care of? Forgiven, covered, not counted against us. The Lord, through the work of Christ on the cross, has thoroughly taken care of our sin. Has He not? Amen? He has. Now in verse 9, there's an important question, uh, uh, the third set of uh, questions here. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the circumcised? Uh, Sorry, for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So this question is important. It's important for us because we don't, Gentiles are not associated with the mark of circumcision. So this is a question that opens things up to everyone who's not Jewish, right? Because it's clearly, it's clear that Abraham, before he was circumcised, received the promise, received the blessing. So this opens things up for all of us. Because the timing of the blessing is crucial here. Because those next set of questions, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? And Paul answers quickly. It was after. It was not after, but <laughs> it was not after, but before he was circumcised. So the answer was quick there. And that's what he wants to drive home. The blessing clearly came before the sign came, the outward sign. God chose him out of unbelief. This is Abraham, or this is, yeah, this is Abraham we're talking about. God chose him out of unbelief, spoke the promise and the blessing to him all before he was circumcised. Because Abraham didn't come from a lineage of belief or anything like that. So he even chose him out of unbelief and gave him the promise and the blessing. And for us also, the timing needs to be this way. It needs to be this way. We, you and I, need God to make the first move. He has got to do something to us, for us. For us to receive this blessing. Because remember what was said in in Romans 10 through 18. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Remember, this was the description of all humanity that we are included in. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. If you and I don't seek for God, we need Him to come after us. There's no doubt about it. We're not going after Him. He's got to do something. And it's got to be dramatic. Because all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
And there's more. You can see that in your Bible. Remember, there was all kinds of things that, that uh, Paul pulled from different psalms and everything. It was kind of like a, a, a playlist of how bad, thing, how bad we are. He's just pulling all these different psalms out. So if that's true about us, we need the timing to be this way. That it came before the sign of circumcision. Listen to other scriptures that testify to how and when God gave us the blessing of salvation. 2 Timothy 1. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Bam! Look at, listen to that. That was huge. Let me read that again. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, you can hear the Abraham argument going on right here, can't you? But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, we needed the Holy Spirit to wash us and renew us. Or else we don't go towards God. We don't love Him. We need that. Whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. 1 John four nineteen. We love... Because he first loved us. We wouldn't love unless he loved us first. Right? Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. If you and I are not changed by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the purpose of His will, we will not walk in His ways. We will not love Him. We will not follow Him. And so it's a great blessing and gift, isn't it? That He gives it to us. And this was true of Abraham. This is the point he's trying to drive home. It was Abraham's belief, the gift of faith that the Lord gave to Abraham was counted to him as righteousness. The ledger of Christ's righteousness was given to him because of the gift of faith that God gave him. The scriptures are clear. We never come to know and love Christ and are never able to walk in his ways unless he makes the first and definitive move to justify and seal us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The first and definitive move needs to be done by him. And then, I mean, let's just say this too. Even after we come to know him and he makes that, that, that he changes us, right? Then, even in our sanctification, the work of becoming more and more like Jesus, God gets all the glory for that as well. He's sanctifying us and making us more like his son, conforming us into the image of his son, degree of glory by glory, right? Awesome. Okay, so that's the blessing. So, we talked about boasting and the blessing. And now the seal. 
So verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He's still kind of hammering away on the timing of these things, right? But the purpose of the seal that came, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as as well. This is so important. The way it happened to, to Abraham is so important for us. He's our father in the faith, too. We're not uh, blood from Abraham, right? But we are his children by faith. So these things had to happen this way so that we could find ourselves in Abraham's family, in God's family. Okay? Now, um, circumcision as a, as a seal, it represented the... Uh, inward change that has taken place or is to come, right? There is a sense in which the seal, so as a Presbyterian church, not all of you in this room may be Presbyterian in in terms of how you view the scriptures or whatever, but as a Presbyterian church, you know, when we look at the scriptures, we say, okay, circumcision was a, a seal that was given to both infants and people who converted to Judaism, right? And so we do the same thing with baptism, all right? So circumcision was something that was given to uh, young males. Now in the New Covenant, baptism is given to both males and females, which is a great gift in the New Covenant. But circumcision, right? So that was given to set apart someone to grow up in the family of God. So in his people, the visible church, right? But it was also looking forward to Lord willing, when that person puts their faith in the Lord. So not just a person who is circumcised on the outside, but as we're going to see in a couple minutes, someone who is circumcised in here, set apart for God. And that's actually what God cares the most about, is what happens in here. So baptism now, we say, we give to infants as the same thing, setting them apart as someone who's going to be growing up in, among God's people. And it's, it's a sign that looks forward to their faith. And so that baptism then is an outward sign of either an inward change that's already taken place or looking forward ahead to an inward change. So Abraham is part of this picture for us. And I love this line. He's father, this is verse 12, father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised. What a great line. But who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's chapter 10. Listen to the wording here of talking about circumcision and everything, okay? And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. 
Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Look at what the emphasis here is. Walk in all his ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I mean, that speaks to the greatest commandment, right? Uh, in this preschool that my mom used to teach at, they had something called the, the, the big A motto. And I think at the beginning of every day, maybe at the end of the day, they always said the big A motto together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, A for all. Uh, all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, right? That's, I mean, that's the greatest commandment. It doesn't even have anything to do with the actual actions you do. It's how you feel about the Lord. It's the affections you have for the Lord that will then play out in actions, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Then, it, like that's the second greatest commandment is how we then love people. And then in verse 16, circumcise therefore, this is in Deuteronomy 10, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. God cares about what's in here first and foremost because he knows that if what in here is changed, what's in here is different, that this has been transformed, then you know the other, the other things will flow out of that. So the Lord has cared about the state of our hearts more than anything all along. And because things like what happened with Abraham, Abraham needed a changed heart, didn't he? That was the only way he was going to follow the Lord, was if the Lord gave him a changed heart and then justified him by what we know now as the righteousness of Christ. Abraham, everybody in the Old Testament, needed the righteousness of Christ credited to them. And that's what we need today too. But I think that this is a call for us to care very much about the tending of our hearts before the Lord and before other people. That this seal that's in our heart, like if you're a Christian, if you say that you know and love the Lord Jesus and you call him your Savior and Lord, there's been a seal that's been put on you, a seal of the Holy Spirit. And so God is calling us to, to work in conjunction with the work of the Spirit, the, the work that's already been done and the work He's going to continue to do in us to tend to our hearts, do good heart tending. And so I, I think if you're, if you're if all of us in this room should realize the, the lack of love we have for the Lord in our hearts. Every single one of us should realize that there's, there's stuff missing, Right? And so we should be asking the Lord, we should be praying, this should be a prayer. Lord, would you please increase my affections for you? 
Would you help me to treasure you more and more? Would you increase my affections for other people? And he loves those kinds of prayers because that's us coming to him and saying, the inside of me still needs work. Will you please do that work in me? And then do other things too that will help tend to your heart. Seek the Lord in his word. Set time aside to talk to him. Try to start in the midst of your day to talk to him about what's going on in your day. Abide in him. So it's a, it's a combination of asking the Lord to change you and seeking to work in conjunction with the Spirit to do things that will help cultivate and tend to your heart. So, let's seek the Lord together and ask Him to increase our affections and to remember who He is and what He's done for us. And that will show that we are children of Abraham. Right? By His mercy and grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever and you are faithful to all generations. You are faithful to our generation right now. You have been in the past and you will be to the generations to come. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the blessing of faith can only come from you. Remind us of that. Humble us, Lord. And remind us, too, of how you have lifted us up and and given us the righteousness of Christ. We praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.